something to help you get started. InventHelp is America's largest and better service center with sales offices in major cities nationwide. Call this toll-free number now to see how to get this free information. The information includes a form for confidentiality. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show through their television, tell them to go to www.hotm.tv. They can watch it live, streaming video from anywhere in the world. The streaming, has we've been having difficulty with it the past number of weeks. We finally got that uh, fixed. Uh, praise God, so uh, have them tune in. We also hope you'll take advantage of the archive shows, over 170 of them, I think, at hotm.tv. You can look up any topic and watch them from there. We often have people who request uh, to know what books they should read or where they can get research information, uh, anything uh, like that. And I have a site to recommend to you for both, www.utlm. Dot org. That's Utah Lighthouse Ministry dot org, and uh, you can find everything you want. They have been around for 40 years, maybe uh, maybe 40 years, I think. And reaching out to people with the facts of Mormonism, very reliable research, and uh, I trust their work. Uh, UTLM dot org, the site to go things to go for all things LDS. Every week we are holding Bible studies around the state. To complement your church experience, we call them Calvary Campus, and we meet on Sunday afternoons at the University of Utah, and Sunday evenings at Utah State, and then on uh, Wednesday evenings we meet in Ogden for the Ezekiel Project. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. I want to share two points with you, plain and simple. You ready? You can trust Jesus, and you can trust the Bible. That's all. That was all it was. Okay, we have received a lot of email from people wondering the best way to reach their LDS family and friends uh, with biblical truth about Jesus. Many worry about... prayers, daily petition the Lord for them to have their eyes and ears open so that their heart may feel and they may be uh, 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 healed. Also, love them, love on them, love at them, love them unconditionally, love them in their Mormonism just as you love anybody in any lifestyle, any walk. Uh, exude that love. This is the Christian call. doesn't mean that you sell short on truth. But you definitely uh, offset that with love. Third, focus on Jesus whenever and if you can. Describe your relationship uh, with him as though they would understand. So you don't have to say, well, the way I understand Jesus is different from you. You might just say, isn't it great that Jesus provided us salvation by his grace and grace alone? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I just praise the Lord, don't you? You can include them in the conversation as if they would understand that and what they do is they go home and they think, well, how come I don't? 
You know, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not worshiping the Lord the same way that my friend does? Once Jesus gets to work, everything else will fall in place. Information about Mormonism and knowledge of the Bible might start to be sought, and then the process of seeing and hearing begins. Finally, wait on the Lord with patience. Hebrews 10.36 says, For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you hear that? After you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So he says, you need patience now. You share, you do the will of God, and then you have patience. So do the will of God, wait on him. Do not despair, my friends. You're planting seeds. There is hope. You have no idea. I have no idea what the words you share with someone will mean. We don't know what they do in their darkest hour. We don't know what prayers they say. We don't know what the, the conflicts they have about the religion they attend and the beliefs they have in their hearts. So we just share in love, truth, and move forward. Over the past number of years, I've had the opportunity to personally be involved with literally hundreds of interactions with unsuspecting Latter-day Saints, usually on airplanes or in airports. Generally speaking, there's a built-in response mechanism most LDS have when it comes to dialogue. Now, they're very happy, very willing, open to speak with anyone, anytime, about the LDS church, but an automatic system shutdown occurs in them uh, in varying degrees um, if a difficult or uncomfortable topic comes out about Mormonism. Our resident aphorist Reed shared with me another profound parallel of information recently about this ubiquitous LDS system shutdown response. He likened the illogical nature of this response the LDS have to a man that we're going to call Joe. Now, Joe has worked long and hard over the course of his life and has placed all of his finances in the hands of the ABC Bank and Trust. Joe has a savings account with the ABC, he has CDs, he has IRAs, he has investments, all with the ABC Bank and Trust. His family has been with ABC, it's a very reputable bank. Uh, the illogical nature of the LDS shutdown is akin to Joe opening up the newspaper one day and seeing a headline that reads, Is ABC Bank and Trust Financially Sound? Upon reading it and in terror, Joe slams the paper shut and says, I'm not reading anymore. You see, reading will bother Joe. It will trouble him. It will cause him possibly to question or lose faith in the ABC Bank and Trust. And the ABC Bank is his bank, and after all, it would be so much work, so much effort to have to transfer everything out, and you know, that would be too hard, too taxing, so he blindly places his entire financial future in the unchecked hands of the ABC Bank. Soon the evening news reports that the ABC Bank and Trust has been in serious fault of deceptive practices. But instead of listening and hearing the findings, Joe turns the channel and covers his ears to what is being said. By listening, he would have to ask himself, maybe there are other banks out there. Maybe it's not the ABC Bank and Trust I should put my faith in. And uh, it's all he's ever known, so he can't face it. So he shuts his eyes, he won't read the paper, he won't do anything, and he just, receipts, re he just repeats the mantra, the ABC Bank, I know it's true. I know it's right. I know it's right. And then he realizes one day when he goes to get his hard-earned cash out of the ABC Bank that there's nothing in the vault. And he has been completely duped. And um, by the end, it's not just duped by the ABC company, but he's been duped by himself, by his own laziness, by his own fears, uh, to the available facts. Now, very few people alive would ever respond to the, uh, this situation the way Joe did. If somebody had put all their savings and trust and monies into a financial institution and saw one single article that said these guys might be in trouble, they would not be able to get down to the bank quick enough to yank their money out and store it in another place that is deemed reliable and trustworthy. But the LDS do this very thing with their eternal treasure, their eternal salvation. 
it's even of a greater value and they close their eyes much str more strongly, much more convinced on something that's far more important than treasures that rust and where moth will corrupt. I know it's true, I know it's true, I know it's true, and then their eyes close and they find out that it wasn't. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight and we talk about Mountain Meadows Massacre, the Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre. Lord, let us share these things that it will open up eyes to what has long existed in this state and within the um, realm of Mormonism. Lord, let me share in love. Have our callers dialogue openly. Bless our studio audience. Bless our audience wherever they may be. Help our technicians and our staff and our volunteers. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. By the time the Fancher party entered Utah, their appointment with a brutal death under wide open spaces was simply a matter of time. Upon their arrival in Salt Lake City, which they think was around August 3rd, 1857, the journal of an LDS member, Lorenzo Brown, noted that, quote, the bishop of their ward requested to take charge of all the property of the ward so there would be no selling to the Gentiles, end quote. Where Jesus said in Mark 9, For whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name shall not lose his reward, Brigham's orders were that no Latter-day Saint was to give or sell any immigrant anything they might need. To disobey this meant a stark and vicious, often, reprisal. LDS author Will Bagley notes that stepping into Salt Lake City was like, quote, stepping into a hornet's nest as the previous week the leaders had worked the LDS followers into a religious frenzy. Bagley adds in his book, Blood of the Prophets, quote, even a historian sympathetic to the Mormons reported that the Arkansans found in the Mormons no friendly mood and at once concluded to break camp out of Salt Lake City and move on. And what did the Fancher party most likely face as they rode south out of Salt Lake City toward their destiny with death? The same treatment that other parties of immigrants faced who came before them but lived to report it. Often wagon trains were aggressively met by Mormons who would first inquire, are you a saint or are you a sinner? Meaning, are you a Latter-day Saint? Or are you not one of us? And it would be a very difficult ride for them if they said sinner. This included a system of fines and fees imposed upon immigrant, immigrant trains, which in the end was just merely a guise for extortion. Fines were imposed if a cow or a cattle grazed on some land that was supposedly unauthorized, if profanity was used in any way, shape, or form, and fines were imposed for fault-finding of the LDS leaders for imposing the fines. Property would be held if protest was made in response. In addition to the rule of not selling to the immigrants, even the necessities of life and finding them for all matter of unconscionable causes, immigrant trains were also under the constant fear of the Indians. Now, Bagley and Juanita Brooks provide a large body of research on the different Indian tribes living in Utah when it was a territory, and there's so much of it, I can't do it justice, I can't even really begin to, to try to report it to you. But know this, the federal government, as, as like a bone to Brigham Young, made him the territorial agent to the Indian people in this territory, and with this position, he became, in their eyes, a big chief, a man that they called Biggin. That's what they called him, Biggin. Brigham Young, amidst his rhetoric that, these last days on, that the last days of the earth were quickly approaching and that the Gentile nation was going to fall, he tapped into Joseph Smith's war prophecy that's found in the Doctrine and Covenants, which states, quote, that the remnant, talking about the American Indians, who are left in the land shall marshal themselves and shall become exceedingly angry and shall vex the Gentiles with a sore vexation. In other words, to translate the Doctrine and Covenants, what Joseph Smith prophesied was, the Indians are going to get really ugly and savage-like and they're going to plague upon the Gentiles of the nation. 
to help marshal the Utah tribes, Brigham was strategically good to the Indian peoples and provided them with a great amount of material blessings. But for this support, he exacted a price. That is, the Utah natives were taught not only to differentiate between the Maricats, those are the Americans, and the Mormons, but to be hostile to the one and subservient to the other. This symbiotic relationship allowed for the Mormons in many ways to use and control the natives in order to take advantage and capitalize on the Maricats who sought passage through the Utah Territory. Says Bagley, quote, Young had to choose between his fidelity to the U.S. government and his loyalty to the Mormon people. The superintendent for Indian affairs for the Utah Territory was charged with protecting overland immigrants from Indian attacks. And on August 16th of 1857, Brigham Young declared that he would abandon that responsibility if the army came into Utah, end quote. However, Brigham Young didn't wait for the U.S. invasion in order to sick the Indians on travelers. With the Fancher party in the territory, Young, according to Bagley, listen to this, quote, explicitly violated his sworn duty and sent his agents to encourage Indian attacks on wagon trains. These agents met with the Indian leaders and after supplying them with melons and cows and corn, told them that, quote, the Lord had come out of his hiding place and they, the Indians, had to commence their work, end quote. In the end, when the Indians didn't finish certain jobs expected of them, the Mormons assumed their savage appearances and finished the jobs off themselves. Immigrant witnesses from other trains often commented on the unique skin color of the Indians in Utah, observing that when being raided and robbed by these savages, deep white lines in the creases of skin around their eyes was seen and white patches between their ears and their hair. In other words, the Mormons were accustomed to dressing up as natives and doing evil, then letting the blame fall upon their Lamanite brothers. So the Fancher party got out of Salt Lake and headed south as quickly as possible, and they approached Cedar City, and two events of many are worth reciting quickly. First of all, it's strongly believed that the Fancher party allowed some backouts to join their group, and this would have infuriated the Mormon people. You see, Brigham Young revived Joseph Smith's um, Law of Consecration and three years earlier in the territory, and there was a lot of Latter-day Saints who said, we are tired of being under this uh, domination of Brigham Young, and he collects everything we own in this law of consecration. We want out of here. And so they would seek a safe way to get out of town, and they were known as backouts, okay? So these guys, they believe some of them had joined up with the Fancher party to go to California. Additionally, there's a story which LDS author Bagley says is a pure myth that surfaced that said the Fancher party, when they had uh, stopped at an Indian farm near Fillmore called Corn Creek, that they poisoned the well water there and ox meat, which led to the deaths of several Indians. By all accounts, these stories were fabrications forged and forwarded by the LDS to cover and or somehow justify the deeds they authored and committed. We can say this because where all the accusations against the Fancher party are not documented, and if they are written down, they were written down at least 10 to 15 years after they were murdered, okay, post after they were murdered, the other accounts that were written when the Fancher party was actually in Utah traveling through were all reliable and very good. As a matter of record, that summer, an LDS man named Eli Kelsey was returning from his LDS mission and traveled with the Fancher train to Fort Bridger and then to Salt Lake City. This LDS returned missionary who was with the Fancher party wrote, he had never traveled with more pleasant companions and spoke kindly about sharing company with the Fancher Party's venerable patriarch. That would be the head of it. The return missionary also noted that the Fancher Party were, quote, people from the country districts, sober, hardworking, plain folks, but well-to-do, 
and taken all in all about as respectable a band of immigrants as ever passed through Salt Lake City, end quote. Let me just summarize that as the Fancher train made its way down to Cedar City, Bigham had met with many of the territorial Indian chiefs to engage them in the work of keeping immigrants off the Utah Territory roads and lands. All the factors we have discussed over the past three or four weeks now were reaching a fervent pitch. Bagley, a historian who has researched the evidence more than any human alive, wrote, quote, whatever led to their massacre, one thing is certain. The attack was set in motion days before the Fancher party reached Cedar City. And Juanita Brooks, another LDS author on the subject, wrote, quote, when the facts are marshaled, there is not justification enough for the death of a single individual. These are very important statements because prior to and immediately following the Mormon bloodbath, all sorts of myth mythical justifications came out of the woodwork to justify their actions. The big question that remains is where did the orders come from to carry the massacre out? We cannot read a declaration from Brigham Young that says, kill him. But I believe the answer is so obvious. Just ask yourselves, where do Latter-day Saints today get the authorization to act in the name of the church? Who ordered the Prop 8 involvement, for example? Who tells Mormon girls that they are allowed to have one piercing per ear in this day and age? Uh, whose signature is found at the bottom of the letter that the missionaries get to go on a mission? That's right. It's their so-called modern-day prophet. Then, perhaps more importantly, and with this in mind, ask yourself this. At what point in all of Mormon history was there a time when the LDS Mormon prophet would have been in most control and would have overseen almost everything that uh, went on around him? What point in time was that? It was when Brigham Young was in office. So we can just look at today and see how the prophet still manages the Mormon church and he lets out how things are supposed to be. Can you imagine what it would have been like under Brigham Young? They said that they had a communication system from Salt Lake all the way to the south end to the north end to east and west here in Utah that was faster than a wire telegraph. They could get it from their guys on exactly what needed to happen. So aside from the factors we've discussed, which all came from Brigham Young anyway, how did the order to kill the Fancher party reach the Mormon leaders in southern Utah? While the Fancher party headed south toward Mountain Meadows, they crossed paths with the rotund apostle of the church, uh, George A. Smith, who had been in southern Utah on church affairs, which included repeating Young's uh, directive that they were not to sell anything to the immigrants. So as Apostle uh, Smith is coming up from Cedar City, the Fancher party is leaving Salt Lake and they cross paths. And as a matter of fact, it so happened that they actually camped within yards of each other one night as they were headed their different directions. And a witness in, in Apostle Smith's camp wrote this, he said that Apostle Smith said in their camp, looking over at the Fanchers, he believed that there was a strange atmosphere surrounding the travelers and that, quote, some evil would befall them before they got through the territory. Bagley writes that Smith pronounced a self-fulfilling prophecy with those words toward Mountain Meadows. After Apostle Smith reached so daytime comes, Apostle Smith and his entourage go uh, north towards Salt Lake. The Fancher party heads south, and, and two people, two guys, they were Silas um, Smith and Bishop Seymour, Bishop Seymour Brunson. They turned around from being with the Apostle Smith's party, and they rode back south, outdid the Fancher party, and got to Cedar City and other places before them. Bagley notes that federal prosecutors believe that these two saints carried the orders with them that the veterans of the massacre called the orders from headquarters. 
Now, without getting bogged down in a plethora of LDS names and who participated in the actual bloodletting, let me just say the word was out and obedience to it was expected to all who were invited to participate. By the time the Fancher party reached uh, Cedar City, Bagley says the fire of religious reformation burned brightly. I would imagine a similar fervor was present during the Crusades and in the cockpit of those planes that took out our two uh, World Trade Centers and in Waco and in Jonestown. Nothing, not even nationalism, can get people to do more evil than people who do evil in the name of God or a holy purpose. But with this being said, I don't want to end tonight because next week we're going to Mountain Meadows to tell you what happened. With, I want to end tonight on a, on a note that is positive. It actually gives me hope. It's two stories that I applaud. Both are about LDS people. The first is about Mrs. Morgan in Cedar City. She was a devout Mormon woman who, despite the cruel orders from the top not to trade with the immigrants at all, she gave them a round of cheese for their journey in trade for one of their handmade blankets from Arkansas. Bagley notes that brother and sister Morgan were cut off from the church later on. The second story of honor is about an LDS man named Joseph Walker. Cedar City, as was mentioned, was on fire with religious fervor, the kind that leads to bloodshed. Bagley states, however, that, quote, listen to this, Mormons of conscience resisted the hysteria. Where Mormon hostility had blasted the Arkansas train since Salt Lake City, the Fancher team made a friend with Joseph Walker, who Bagley described as a sturdy and bluff old Englishman, who charitably took the grain the Fancher party had bought at uh, Corn Creek, and he milled it for them on their journey. His bishop, a guy named Bishop Philip Klingensmith, who was a real piece of bloody murderous work, Mer uh, sent an elder and ordered Walker to not grind that wheat up. Walker replied in the record from the book from Bagley, quote, tell the bishop I have six grown sons and that we will sell our lives at the price of death to others before I will obey his orders, end quote. That is honor, my friends. Honor, I am sure, was forged on a true anvil of Jesus Christ. Old Walker, amidst wild fanaticism, told his bishop, who was supposedly inspired by the Lord, to take a flying leap. I hope more Latter-day Saints will do the same. Stand up and say no more praise to the man. No more believing in this pearl of great price. No more going on and on and on because you say we should. It takes courage to do that. These people's lives were at stake and they stood up to it. You can stand up to it too. No matter what the cost appears to be, you can stand up to it too. Because it takes the same type of courage. Where Joseph Walker and the Morgan couple said, we're not going to listen. We're going to do what's right. The others went on and murdered people in cold blood. How long will you obey because the brethren tell you to do it? Look at the manual. Go to that. The Francher party got out of Cedar City unawares that men, uh, LDS leaders, had gathered in prayer to ask the Spirit on how to go about killing them. Next week, we'll arrive at the scene of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. For several weeks now, we have run this following announcement and that you're going to watch in a second. And we really want to thank all of you, whoever you are, and for whatever you have done in the name of the ministry, we are grateful. We're going to run this spot for the next uh, few weeks till the mid-June, and then we're just going to remind people that being a partner is available. But we're going to keep running it. I want to let you know that we appreciate you, whether you become a partner or not. We appreciate all you have done and all you continue to do. Everyone is needed. Uh, in our quest to remain viable, no matter how you contribute, whether it's prayer or financially or whatever it is, everyone is needed. So let's take a look at this spot while the operators clear through the calls. Hi, my name is Sean McCraney. I'm the host of Heart of the Matter and the founder of Aletheia Ministries. 
Uh, when my wife and I started Aletheia Ministries about six years ago, we underwrote all the expenses ourselves. Over the course of time, many of you have unsolicited uh, come alongside of us and supported us, and we thank you so much uh, for doing that. Uh, however, we've reached a point in the ministry where actually by the end of June of this year, uh, Aletheia Ministries, uh, heart of the matter, will cease to exist because of our financial situation. We can no longer subsidize the expenses ourselves. So uh, I really hate doing this. If you've watched the show, you know we are not about uh, money and finances. We've been on three years and we've never ever uh, done that and tried to solicit you to, your funds. But what we would like you to uh, at least consider is to partner up with us, become a heart of the matter partner, H-O-T-M partner. And um, our board of directors have come up with this plan, so to speak, to come alongside God in this ministry and, um, and help us bring more people to the a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ministry has seen an abundance of fruit and we've seen many people come uh, to the Lord as a result of God's ministry here uh, in Utah. And so we just want to introduce to you the HOTM Partners concept. Uh, you can go call 888-868-HOTM. That's 888-868-4686. It's a toll-free number. And you can get uh, ask, leave a message or speak to an operator and get a brochure on how to become a partner. Or you can go online, www.hotm.tv, and become a partner right there online. So we need you now. It's urgent. And I know all television ministries say that, but it is. And we place this in God's hands and yours. God bless you. All right, welcome back. We're going to Ruth in Mesa, Arizona, first-time caller. Ruth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Ruth. I <laughs> just wanted to say God bless you and keep you in His grace. We love your show. Thank you. And uh, my children and I are enjoying your fancy hairdo tonight. <laughs> that's, that's a compliment. What fancy <laughs> hairdo? Your fancy hairdo. <laughs> I'm, t I'm totally kidding. <laughs> So what's oh, happening? You just wanted to call and congratulate me on the on the fine hairdo? No, oh. no, I have I have a question for you. Oh, good. Um, I I live in a, a complex in Mesa, Arizona, and Mesa is becoming like Utah. And um, I'm wondering that, that we have like Mormon missionaries just coming in, like flooding our com our apartment complex, and. Like they go from, they have like a clipboard and they walk around three of them, walk around and they say, well, we went to that one, they like check it off. And um, I, I found these tracks online that um, warn people from um, getting into the cult of Mormonism. Uh -huh. And it, it says basically, in a nutshell, what they teach and that it's against the Bible and that it's not Christian. And I've been cautioned not to leave these tracks around because I've been leaving them like in the laundry room. Who cautioned and, you? Um, another lady from church, she said that she thought it was antagonistic. And so I'm wondering what you think about that. Should I be doing this? And You know, I, I think that uh, it's warfare when the missionaries get involved. They're knocking on uh, people's doors who are unsuspecting, who don't know the Bible. And uh, they, they are teaching a, only a very small amount of what Mormonism actually represents. So to me, it's warfare, and I, I think that uh, it's not antagonistic. They are being antagonistic by knocking on doors. I think there's nothing wrong with uh, informing people. If the track is done well, uh, you know, I would by all means use it. Okay. But you got to make sure you have to make sure, Ruth, that the uh, information they're reading is absolutely impeccable, because yeah. if if you get one out there that has something that's wrong in it. Uh, they're just going to eat it alive, and it will work against you. Well, I did. I I went to the laundry room the next day after I dropped them all off there. I dropped off four, and uh, they were all thrown away except for one, and there was a phone number on it. Huh. And I thought, hmm, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know where you got the, the information, but try UTLM uh, and go to okay. Sandra Tanner because they might be able I'm sure what they're going to give you is very reliable. I need, I need it in Spanish because... There are a lot of Spanish-speaking people in this complex, and they're really targeting them. Right. Uh, let me I ask my understand. resident uh, street preacher. Is there anything in Spanish out there, Robert? Yeah, there is. I have some. <laughs> I can give you a stack. But there's, there, there is uh, so-called 
Email me your uh, email me your uh, address, um, and we'll send you some information in Spanish. Awesome, awesome. All right. Okay. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for calling. Ah, uh, God bless you. Okay, bye. We're going to Matt in Spanish Fork. He's LDS. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Good Matt. To talk to you again. What's that? I talked to you briefly two weeks ago. I was the last caller. Mm. How you doing? Good. I've got a an interesting question. All right. <laughs> um, I I have an answer to it, but my wife really doesn't like it. But I don't know. I can share it with you. <laughs> Anyhow, my question is: uh, What's the best way for me to actually leave the Mormon Church? <laughs> Are you being serious? I'm dead serious. Now I read your book, and I read how you did it. Yeah. Um, let me give you a little background again. Okay. I, uh, I'm from California. Moved here about four years ago. Um, I was in the bishopric. I taught early morning seminary. And then we moved to Utah. And, uh, they made me a temple worker. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yours was a great call. Someone was talking to me about this call today. <laughs> and you were reading the Bible in the temple. Yeah, exactly. I was reading the New Testament in the temple, and, uh, you know, some things started clicking. Wow. And I started to ask more questions, and, anyhow. Matt, do you have children? I, I haven't been to church for about nine months. I've been going to Grace Bible Church. Awesome. In Springville. You, uh, you uh, have children? Yes, I have four children. Jasmine is 16. Jordan's 12, Brennan is 11, and Ethan is 8 years old. And how about your wife? Is she active? She was the primary president. She was the young women's president in California, and it took her a little longer. She actually made the decision to quit going to church um, right before Christmas. And then how are your children handling that? Um... They're all on board. They love it. We, we went to the bookstore there in Springville, and I actually bought all my kids' Bibles. Awesome. That they can read and understand, and they like reading it. What a good dad. So, hey, I, what a great call. Listen, my advice to you, if you're all on board like that, is to uh, abandon ship. Go in and, 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 and send the letter. Go to utlm.org and get the information on how to do it. And, uh, and write a letter where you all, you all uh, sign it and just okay. say we want our names taken off. Now, how about local family? You have parents and people in town? Oh, yeah. My, my mother, she came over to my house right after Christmas and, I mean, ripped me a new one. She told me and my wife that we're, you know, being deceived. We're under the influence of Satan. She told my children not to listen to me. Um... Yeah, she basically, wow. she, she told me that I was going to hell. Wow. You know, because I'm, because I know the truth. And you believe in now Jesus. I'm, now I'm apostate. Yeah. So I'm, I'm worse off than, you know, had I not yeah. known the truth. They try to scare you with that, Matt. Oh, God is, is so much in your corner. Your eyes are going to continue. You're going to see your whole family. You're changing generations from... You're opening up that Bible and reading. Uh, it's such a great uh, call. Let me tell you. Um, so, what are your thoughts? My neighborhood too. She's uh, stepping out right now. Awesome. She's been reading the journal discourses. Uh, good friends of ours, the Raz Bands. Oh yeah. They stepped out about a year before us. Yeah. They're in the same neighborhood. Fantastic. So this, would be, this is three families that have stepped out <laughs> or stepping out. That know, is so in great. This little ward. That is so great. Matt, so what do you think? What is your opinion? Do you, should, you take off, should you take your name off or what? Absolutely. But my idea was <laughs> to go to fast and testimony meeting and stand up and bear my testimony of Jesus Christ and then hand the bishop my letter, personally. <laughs> Will you email me and tell me when you're going to do that? Well, uh, June the first week.
week in June. No, don't, email out. me. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, what, my if wife it, doesn't want me to do that. She thinks it'll stir up a lot of stuff in our neighborhood. It, it's gonna. Your wife is is right in that uh, assessment. Uh, maybe you if you talk to the Lord about that, see how it works. But a couple things just to be aware of. Sometimes when it, I know that if people get up to do something during fast and testimony meeting and if the yeah, bishop doesn't like true. it, what he will do is stand up and say, this meeting is over and you will be standing and watch everybody get up and leave while you're standing there. So be prepared for that because especially now that we've announced, uh, you've announced the date, but uh, whatever you do, let the Lord lead you, trust in God and uh, do what's going to be necessary to honor him and protect your family. And uh, we'll go from there. I, but please email me and give me the specifics on what you finally decide to do. I will, brother. All right. God bless you. Thank I, you I so much. Us. Thank you. God bless, Sean. Okay, bye. What an awesome call. Awesome call. We have Todd in Boise, Marvin in Nampa. Uh, just really quickly, I want to let you know that uh, Matt there was a seminary teacher, and, and he's going to find that, uh, that it gets really ugly, and there's things that will hurt his feelings. There's somebody on the Internet who writes, um, her name is Candace, and I know who she is, and she wrote, you were my seminary teacher in high school, and I thought you were crazy as hell then. And I was only 17. Talk about good judgment. I'm so glad I saw you for what you were and dropped out of your class. Um, I want to remind Candace that one, I was a seminary teacher because I was called by the Lord according to them to be that seminary teacher. And uh, I got up at, at 4.30 every morning to go and teach that early morning seminary class out of love for the kids and I still love you. And uh, I've always been crazy as hell, so that, I mean, <laughs> what, what do I need to say? But uh, Candace, I love you, I loved you then, I love you now. And I can tell you the Lord loves you, and he would love for you to just uh, let go of this anger or bitterness or whatever it is and, and seek him completely. Don't listen to me. Uh, just check out my facts and see if what I'm telling you is right. I have no vested interest to see uh, the seminary students uh, go to hell. I want to see those seminary students who I love then and I love now go live with the Lord, and that's why we do what we do. So, Okay, uh, let's go on to uh, Todd in Boise. Online too. Todd, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, buddy. I don't know if I can top that, but I guess I'll give it a try. All right. Say, uh, what if I were to have the chance to stand the so-called prophet in the face? What, what would you say if I were to have that chance? To speak to him face-to-face? -face? Yeah, what would you say to him? I would say, how do you do what you do? How do you let people believe that salvation comes by any other means additional thereafter than Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ? Explain that to me. I, I would probably ask him just he's about gonna, his soteriology. What would you ask him? Me, he's going to tell me that, uh, well, it's through the, the restored gospel. Jesus isn't enough, Thomas Monson. Is Jesus enough? That's what I would respond to him with. I would stay on Jesus. You're, you're a prophet of God, Thomas S. Monson. How do you, how do you not get up in your conferences and, and praise Jesus? How do you not honor him as God? How do you say that he's a, he's a, a created being who's the elder brother of all of us and a, and, a, and a spiritual brother of Satan? How do you say that temple uh, uh, rituals are necessary for my salvation? that I have to be a Mormon in order to go to heaven. How do you say all this, Thomas Monson, with an honest heart? Do you really believe it? And then how do you justify your history? You know, how do you, how do you explain any of that and with a straight face get up and tell millions of people that they need to toe the line and be LDS and keep them in bondage? Then after throwing up several times, I'd try to continue. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. That's what I'd do too. And you know, I, I may have that chance. So. Wow. We're having a lot of uh, public chances tonight. That's excellent. Will you please let us know what happens? Uh, it probably will never happen. But oh, yeah, I don't my hopes up. <laughs> well, if you can take a guy with you, let me know. All right, thanks, man. Okay, Todd. God bless you. We're going to Marvin in Nampa, Idaho. Marvin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? Good, Marvin. How are you? Oh, not too bad, my friend. Um, Hey, you were talking uh, to a gentleman about the, the name of God, you know, the Tetragrammaton and all? Yeah. Well, the, the pronunciation is yod heh vav 
The what? You know that spells out, that spells out uh, the four letters. We don't know how we spell the four letters out, Marvin. Well, I do because I'm Jewish. Sean, remember? Yeah, but there's no, we don't have any vowel, all we have are vowel punctuations that were used at a later time that we assigned oh. to the tetragrammaton. I know, but, but in Judaism, uh, the way they pronounce the Y-W-H-W or whatever, the, you know, the Yahweh part, yeah. they use the yod hey bob hey. that's uh, the four letters that... Uh, that you were talking okay, about. so I, what you're saying then is the way that the Jews pronounce the, the four consonants, because those are consonantal yeah. sounds, so that's how they say it. But we still don't know yeah. what's in between those letters. Okay, I get what you're saying. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, nobody knows uh, the true name of God, correct? Right. right. I was just giving you the pronunciations. Thank you so um, much. I'll never know. remember it, but thank you so much. <laughs> but anyhow, I was going to... Um, tell you too my main question was actually um what's the purpose of uh the um oh uh the priesthood in the mormon church the purpose they say what they would say in their manuals is to uh bring down the power and authority of god on earth and give it to men um but it is so uh, not biblical in any way shape or form that it's a mockery but they, uh, Joseph supposedly restored these priesthoods, and now they operate everything by them. Their ecclesia culture is based on these priesthoods. Uh, well, they need to, I guess they need to go back to Hebrews where it talks about Jesus being the high priest. It'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> hey, Marvin, thanks well, for the hey, call. Well, hey, Brother Sean, um, I, I, I just uh, found out a little bit ago that you're having uh, financial uh, struggles, bro. Um, I'd like to help out, but how do I go about that? I didn't get the phone number. Uh, are you online? Uh, no, actually, I don't have an internet, and that's why I need the phone number that I can find out how to do that. What's the phone number, graphic guy? Wait, they're going to put it up on the screen, and then I'll tell you what it is. The phone number is 888 888-868- Okay. Four six eight six. All right, cool, Sean. Hey, be blessed, brother, and uh, I'll be praying for you. Thanks for your information. God bless. All right, bye. Bye bye. We're going to Mark in Salt Lake City. First time caller who's LDS. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. Hey, Mark, you're on the air. I'm on the air. There, I'm watching it on the TV. Nobody's on. Yeah, you gotta turn. Uh, you gotta turn your TV down. There's a delay, Mark. You're on okay. live with okay. me. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. When. Um, Jesus was praying to his father. Who was he praying to? His father. Okay, well, then they're two distinct beings, right? Yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, absolutely. Okay, they're separate. No, they're one. Okay, then who... Um, who was he praying to if they were one? He's praying to himself then. No, he was praying to the father. You see, Mark, the pro here's a couple problems with this. One, in your mind, because of being LDS, if you are, you have always likened Father with God. God is the Father. Father God. God is the Father. And so when you hear Jesus praying to the Father, you think Jesus praying to God, and therefore he's praying not to himself, he's praying to God. But Christians have always believed, based on the Bible, not Nicene creeds, based on the Bible, that Jesus was God, the Holy Spirit is Jesus is God, Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God. And it is three persons, persons in one. One God. And so Jesus condescended and came down from a pre-existent state and took on a body of flesh, while the Father, who Jesus says is a spirit, remains where he lives in heaven. Jesus, being here in the flesh, he's prayed to the Father to show, hey, I am condescended, I am praying to my Father. But they are one. He told Philip, if you've seen the Father, you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So right, they're, they're, they're one in purpose. No, he doesn't say in purpose, though. No, well, what about it? Stephen's, in, Stephen's martyrdom? Yeah. When he looked up and he saw the Father, and distinctly next to him was seated Jesus Christ. He okay. saw two distinct beings. Okay. Now, now, first of all, let's make this clear. When Stephen was being stoned and he looked up, 
and he prayed to Jesus, by the way, since we're going to use this, he prayed to Jesus there. He said that he saw Jesus on the right hand of the Father. That's a Hebraism, Mark. And what that means is that Jesus is in full power and authority then. He received it all. That's all it meant. You're making it anthropomorphic and saying because he's on the right hand, which was a Hebraism, meaning he had all power, like this is my right hand man. You're making it sound like God the Father was in a body sitting there and Jesus was sitting there next to him. That was not how he saw it. Jesus himself. Exactly what he saw. Well, that's because that's how you've been taught. But how can you. Jesus says a God is a spirit and they must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Then Jesus also said, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. So we know from Jesus alone that God is not, a, a, has a body of flesh and bone. That is a construct that Joseph Smith, by the way, made up later. Read his earliest accounts of the first vision, Mark, and you'll see that this idea of a father separate and distinct with a body of flesh and bones was a later construct that he threw in after his theology began to morph and develop. Check out the facts. Don't believe me. Read uh, Grant Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. Go to utlm.org. Check out the facts. Don't believe this guy. But I'm telling you, you are believing in a warped view of God. Nope. I don't think so. Well, of course you don't think so, my brother, because you've been told your whole life, you know, and you've been shown pictures of of Joseph in this, this thing looking up, and there's a father and son, and they're two separate, these two beings. But that is just not biblical. It is biblical. Well, the, the, the fact that there's a premortal state to me can be proved by the Bible. By the Jeremiah. Premortal state. By Jeremiah. By all, by all of it. Jeremiah's I mean, one. That's the only one that I can see. There was a premortal state. You tell me I mean, how who, you. Who fought the battle in heaven? The angels that were created by God. That was not you. You're not an angel. You're a human being. <laughs> We were spirits, and we came and took on bodies. Who told you that? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said to the people around him, I'm from above, you're from beneath. He says, you don't, you don't, don't even try to associate yourself with who I am. I can lay the rules down and tell you what things are because I've seen the Father. He tells, he's, go look up that quote. Do a Bible search on I'm from above, you're from beneath, and see what Jesus says. You are not a, a pre-existent uh, spirit that Joseph concocted, Mark. You you're got your life through God breathing into Adam, and Adam and Eve cohabitated and, and commingled, and that spirit is passed down through all of creation. You don't have this unique spirit that was valiant in the preexistence and stood up for Jesus and God's plan and fought against Satan and his angels. That's all total myth, and the Bible does not prove anything about preexistence. None. Show me okay, the passages. Well, show me the if passages. Joseph Smith, if Joseph Smith made everything up, yeah. What was it that he gained from it? <laughs> Women, I mean, for one thing. All he was crap, tarred and feathered, beat, eventually shot and killed. Well, what was it that he benefited from all of that? He got power. He got money. He had people falling all over him. He had, he had uh, women extraordinaire. He ran for president. He marched around in uniforms. They called him the, the, he was ordained king of the world. Power is far more important than anything else. And when you got a guy who his whole family has nothing else going for him, what's a little tar and feather going to matter? It just adds to the whole thing. Let me tell you something. You want to know what will make our ministry grow? Is if I walk outside and a bunch of people beat me up. I walk outside and they beat me up and I come up next week and I get on the show and I'm beaten up and I say, these LDS guys beat me up. I'm not saying anybody should beat you up. No, but I'm telling you, that helps movements. You're saying, poor Joseph, why would he endure? That's because you've been taught that he endured all this stuff. Let me tell you something. The guy was, he was a genius and he was maniacal. He was an egocentric maniac. Read his stuff. He has quotes that says, I have more to boast of than even Jesus Christ. The Mormons will never leave me. The followers of Christ abandon him. This is a maniacal man. And he has been rehashed, reformulated, and fed to you, Mark, a guy who I love. And you don't even know it, and you just believe it because you've been taught it. Search it out. Prove me wrong. Search it out. UTLM.org. All right. All right, Mark. All right. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Sean 313. Sean 313? Sean 313 for the... All right. Okay. 
Robin from Magna. Robin, uh, yes. you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, um, Robin. I'm calling on behalf of my best friend because she's too shy to call you. Okay. Um, but she's watching, and she was married in the temple to a prominent surgeon. And her question is this. So he cheated on her, and so, but he got his mistress baptized, and so now they're talking about getting married in the temple because she left. And she got full custody of her kids here on earth, but because in the temple, the priesthood, the children follow the priesthood, I guess if she doesn't grant him a temple divorce and stays eternally married to him, then what happens in the eternity? She becomes a sister wife to the mistress that stole her husband? You know, when men try to orchestrate things here on earth that God's in charge of, it gets real ugly. Um, Robin, I don't know the answer anymore because I've heard it's changed. Uh, really? but, but yeah, I've heard it's changed and what they would do is they would allow her husband to probably marry his ex-mistress, make her his wife, and the children would continue to be sealed to your friend and this man unless your friend left the records of the church and then they would petition to have them sealed to her. But it depends on the local leadership too. There are stake presidents and bishops who will go around the official parent and get the other people sealed. All kinds of crazy things happen. So I really couldn't tell you exactly how they address it anymore. But I just know it's a mess. Jeez, it is a mess. Because she's thinking of leaving the church now because right. of all of this nonsense. Yeah. You know, why would the Lord do that to her? And she's exactly. like, well, so what happens? I get to raise my kids their whole lives here on earth and have sole custody. But if we die, he gets sole custody in heaven because he has the priesthood. Robin, let me say this. It's probably going to be the best I can do. If your friend leaves... She should leave because she has discovered what it is and she should, if she discovers what it is by virtue of this experience with her ex-husband and etc., she knows that this ceiling bit is not true either. Right. And she's going to do better just by following the Lord and taking those children who are hers here on earth, given to her by the Lord and, and teaching them about Jesus. And she will have the assurance that they're saved by virtue of their faith. And they can do all their hocus pocus in the temples, but she'll know because of the Lord that they are hers in eternity uh, as, as people who are believers. Absolutely, and that's actually kind of what's helping her leave is Jesus has offered her strength. Praise to God. Help her survive all of this, and so that's where she's at. But she did have that question, but didn't dare to call you. So well, thank you for your help. Oh, anytime. Thanks so much. Okay, have a good one. Okay, bye. We're going to Rebecca and Logan. Rebecca, you only got 30 seconds. Oh, I've only got 30 seconds. I was going to tell you a story. I've got some more persecution this time with a four-year-old um, in an apartment complex. Um, I've got a five-year-old little boy who told my daughter that uh, she is his servant because she doesn't follow the prophet. <laughs> so poor little girl, it's really, I'm starting to feel bad about myself because I'm starting to lose my patience and I'm starting to get angry and I'm not feeling very Christian right now. Don't but do it. Just, was in tears earlier tonight um, and was told that she shouldn't go play on the grass on Sunday because it was their family day. And the little boy came up to me and told me that we didn't have a real family and oh. that's why we don't have family day. And I tried telling him that every day is family day if you're Christian. But there you go. Good response, Rebecca. I'm sorry we can't talk more about it, but it's, it's good insight into what's going on. Sad. Thanks so much. It's really sad. It is. Thank you. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye. You know, uh, uh, we have a, a guy in our audience right now who told me that he's still in high school in a part of this state, that in his high school, his teacher, or in his school, his teacher didn't know he wasn't LDS until after they were all singing Mormon songs in the class, and he wasn't singing along that she said, are you LDS? And he told her, no. I mean, this state is still a theocracy. It's, we're, it's still monitored generally and uh, and strongly by the LDS Church. And so it's time for a change. It's time for the doctrines to crumble and for Mormons to start putting crosses up in their churches and start wearing them on their necks or, or at least considering the fact that the Bible says they are saved by uh, grace and turning to Jesus and Jesus alone. I hope that happens next week. Visit us at the horrible scene of the actual Mountain Meadows where the Mormons murdered over 120 people. See you then. Yeah. Woo! <laughs>
run. 